0: And mercy, compassion, God. I thank you, Jesus, that um, your love is not conditional. God, I thank you, Lord, that um, you call those that may seem a little different or strange. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you have blessed us so much. God, I pray that during this service, people would see you, Lord, that they would not see Ashley, that they would see you, Jesus, that people would. Um, experience you in a whole new way. God, I pray that you would strip away any thoughts that we have that may not be right about you or any beliefs that we feel that we have that may not be correct. God, I pray that you would just humble us, God, help us to grow in you and desire more of you, Jesus. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Um, So I know a lot of times we are on that side, and it's a whole nother world. It is very crazy over there and very loud. And a lot of times, no one really knows what's going on unless you're a parent or unless you're a kid. And in kids' church on Wednesday nights, we do a Bible study. And we've been studying um, the Bible. <laughs> but we've been studying the New Testament. And uh, right now, we're in um, Paul's letters to the churches. And we've been talking about, we started in Romans, now we're in Corinthians, Um, But we were studying about these letters to the churches and why Paul wrote them and what they had to say. And I asked the kids, I said, if y'all were Paul and you had to write a letter to a church, our church, the churches in general, or the Christians in general, what would they say? Dear church or dear Christian, and how would you finish that? Would you fuss at them? Would you encourage them? Would you say, y'all are weird? Would you say, y'all are awesome? I'm going to uh, read you a few examples of what, we, what they came up with. Sometimes it's very scary to ask kids to interpret things or to give you their honest opinion because kids are way too honest sometimes. <laughs> it's really scary. <laughs> um, here's one. I'm not going to say who these are from this little girl i think is 11 dear christians everyone in the world needs your help to become a child of god dear people well christians <laughs> teach non-christians to be christians so go out in the world and tell people dear church we should come together as one and stop fighting and just love everyone dear christians let's give people let's give broken people our stuff i like the church <laughs> that's my favorite. I like this one too. Dear church, I love your cross. (laughs) Calling all Christians. I know you don't hear this every day, but we need to step up, come out of our hole, and let people know we're Christians. And this is one of my favorites too. Dear church, do good, pray. It was such a cute activity because I was like, oh, this is so fun because I love the way kids interpret things. And, understand them, and it blew me away. I was like, man, I'm convicted, (laughs) because mine would have been a huge long letter of, well, church, you need to do this, 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 and why are we doing this? And it's so simple. It's so simple, and that's what kids see, and that's what kids believe. Um, So today, I want to spend some time in Corinthians and look at what Paul had to say. If I had to ask you to finish the sentence or finish the letter, dear church, or, dear Christians, how would you finish it? If you had to finish it about our church, our denomination, the churches in the world, our Christians, how would you finish it? I'm going to, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I don't want to go through all the letters in the New Testament because we'd be here for a long time. But I want to focus on Corinthians. Both First and Second Corinthians was written to the church at Corinth and deal with the need to recognize and put sin out of our lives. The congregation is instructed to love one another and to look forward to the glorious return of Jesus Christ to this earth. So I want to go through just, that's a little summary. I want to go through a few of the chapters, a few of my favorite chapters, and see what Paul was saying to the church and how it can apply to us. I'm going to be all over the book of corinthians the first one and the second one so if you can't follow that's completely fine just read it when you get home guys these letters i know they're written a long time ago pardon me for saying guys ladies and gentlemen (laughs) but these letters are full of some crazy good stuff we can learn from paul was writing to those churches but man how we can apply to our church and the churches in our community and our faith if you've never read the corinthians or maybe it's been a while or just never read the letters that paul wrote go home and do them go home and read them they're a lot of information. So chapter one deals with the need for the church to be unified in its beliefs and to look ultimately to Christ for unity and to not to men. So the first thing I would ask is, dear church, are we unified? Is our church unified? Are we at odds with each other? With with each other? And when we are at odds, do we run to Christ or do we run to man? When we are struggling with unity, Are we running to Pastor Ken, are we running to our true shepherd, Jesus? When we are struggling with difficulties on agreeing on issues, why not stop and say, let's go before the Lord for guidance. Not, let's go to Pastor Ken to see if he can fix this issue. No offense, because I'm sure you can. But, (laughs) some issues. But why not say, let's go to the person that can take care of all things the person that can unify us if we went to God with issues as many times as we go to men there would not be as many issues if we stopped and said you know what we are here for one purpose and that is to get our brothers and sisters saved and get to heaven let's stop going to people and complaining and let's go to Jesus because he can fix it he can always fix everything and just in a little side note to our leadership. Leadership, we must be in one accord. If we are not unified and we do not have the same vision and the same focus, how can we lead others? We cannot. We must be unified. Chapter 2 follows the theme of the first one, but um, t- tells us to seek the wisdom that comes from God and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. How do we have unity? Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask Jesus. Uh, the Scripture says the Spirit teaches Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. Seek the Holy Spirit, and He will help you. The Holy Spirit is not something that you come and experience at church in this altar. He is not a good feeling that makes your hand shake or run or however the Holy Spirit makes you do. He is something, someone that goes with you, and He speaks to you. He encourage you, encourages you. He brings unity. You can't have the Holy Spirit and have a hatred towards somebody. If if you have the Holy Spirit, a lot of your issues will be resolved. Um, Another chapter, chapter 3, is a reminder not to be influenced by personalities and realize that it's God who should get the credit for the spirit work that is done, spiritual work that is done. Too often throughout history, there is um, charismatic and dynamic personalities that we have let sway our beliefs more than the Word of God. We see this time and time again when people leave churches for someone they leave churches because of a pastor, or they stay at home because so and so on TV preaches better than so and so at church. One of my brothers said something the other day. It was probably the smartest thing he's ever said, probably will ever be said. But he said we were talking about someone, He said, "Well, he can't get me to heaven," and I was like, "Praise the Lord, he understands." Because I got you. So many people put so much faith in a person. Did you feel the spirit off of pastor so and so? Did you have did you were you in that service when pastor so and so preached? We get so hung up on people. Dear church, are we focusing on people and not focusing on Christ? Are we so excited to hear so and so speak? When this, uh, that same church that so-and-so is going to be at, Jesus is there and Jesus is here. Jesus is speaking through me just like speaking through Pastor Ken. Let's not get to where we worship a person and forget to worship our God because that person is not getting us to heaven. I told this to Alicia many years ago because um, I put a lot of my faith in people. I'm a people person. I love people. And I've had to come to realize that that person is, cannot keep me from heaven. That person, I cannot let me change me to keep me from heaven or to send me to hell. It is my decision. I, I can't hang on my mom's coattail when she goes to heaven. It is my decision. Chapter 5 gives us some details about how the congregation had grown lax in dealing with sin. Like many religious people today, they apparently felt that being a Christian meant they were supposed to be tolerant of sin rather than addressing it in a godly way. Paul uh, cites this specifically with an example of a son who had a more, or a a guy who had a more uh, inappropriate relationship with a stepmother. The congregation should have dealt with this, but they ignored it. Um... Are we helping our brothers and sisters when they're struggling with sin? When they come in and get saved, are we saying, "Let me help you deal with this sin"? Leave it at the altar; the Lord can wash it away. And then, are we helping them when they get up and leave? I feel sad. Some off. Sorry. I feel sad sometimes because we love when people get saved. Absolutely love it. But sometimes. I feel like we don't help them when they're done, like when they're done, when they get saved. And it's not like a, com- a complete process. It's still more. Like, do we get up with them from the altar and walk with them and help with them and help them and pray with them? Are we helping them turn from sin, repen- repent, repent, and move on? Um, it's sad that many churches also have two extremes. They have the extreme where they're okay with sin and You know, as long as you're good with numbers and you pay your tithes, I don't care what you do. (laughs) But then there's the extreme where there's churches that are against the sin and the sinner, and they don't want any part of that. And that's, that's messed up a lot of people, because when someone comes in that door with brokenness and sin and addiction and heaviness, the last thing they need is a judgy Christian. The last thing they need is someone telling them what they're doing wrong and how they're going straight to hell. Um... I taught a children's ministry class last weekend at the conference, the youth conference, and I was a little nervous about saying this because Sister Judy I was in there, but I told them how we need to really crack down on our protection of our children's ministries in our churches um, because I feel like as time gets on, we're going to have some rough people come into these doors. I believe murderers are going to come through there. I believe rapists are going to come through there. I believe drug dealers are going to come through there, and they're going to come here seeking Jesus, and they're coming here to lay it down, and I was trying to tell them we need to protect our kids because... There's going to be some bad people that come to that door, but those bad people can be washed clean by Jesus. But they're going to need help. They're going to need support. I was like, please, Judy, do not fire me. She didn't, though. So <laughs> um, we need to love those people and show them that Jesus that can save them also is going to walk with them. And we are there, too. We will walk with them. We will support them. We will go to AA meetings with you. We will pray you through. We will help you. We will help you. We will help you. The next chapter—I know I'm jumping all over, so I apologize. Well, I don't really apologize, but um, <laughs> Chapter 13 is my favorite chapter. Chapter 13 is um, all about love. It um, talks about Jesus' love um, or what love is, and I love that. Chapter 13, four through seven, everyone knows about. But if you took the word out, took the word "love" out, and replaced it with Jesus, it would make still perfect sense. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus is not rude. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Yeah. I feel like Jesus is love if you have Jesus you should have tons of love my favorite verse of all times in the bible says do all things with love and I love that verse but it's also a conviction to me because I struggle with that sometimes when I'm driving down the road and someone cuts me off I'm not showing love I just have anger Just so much anger. But if we carried um, ourselves with constant love, our lives would be so different. Imagine how people would react to us if we showed them love. Imagine how full our churches would be if we poured out love into our community, into these broken people, into these broken homes. Proverbs 3 3 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. I went and spoke um, at a church a couple weeks ago, and I made this necklace, and it said love on it. And I said, imagine having to wear this every single day. The big words, uh, the big word love on your neck. And then when you get mad at the grocery person that rings up your stuff in the store, and you're about to yell at them, you're reminded, oh, I'm supposed to show love. Or when your temper is very short with your children, you say, oh, I'm supposed to show love. Or when your timber short with someone else, oh, I'm supposed to show love. It would remind you because it would be there constantly, a constant reminder. And that's what the Bible says. I'm sure they don't mean you have to wear it, but if you really did, things would be different. I love Jesus and how he's such such an example of this. Over and over, the Bible is full of stories where Jesus poured his love into people. His first reaction wasn't to shun them or to dismiss them. It was to love. Um, my favorite story is um, of Zacchaeus. When Jesus saw him, now many people know the story. Zacchaeus, tax man, bad, but this wasn't like the IRS man. He was horrible. He was a thief. Absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. And Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, I know what you did, you thief. You filthy thing. You're going to hell. You know what he said? I want to go home with you. I relationship with you. I want to love you. Jesus chose this thief, this person that was taking money. Who knows what else he was doing? I wasn't there, so I don't know. But he was not a good person. Jesus didn't shun him. Jesus didn't condone him. Jesus said, let me go home and love you. Let me have dinner with you. A couple weeks ago, um, Bobby and I were at Buffalo Wild Wings eating, and we were out in like a big open area by ourselves, and it was really nice. These like, garage doors were open. It was so beautiful. And we were talking about if Jesus was there with us, eating lunch with us. And then we were like, you know what? If Jesus was in this restaurant, he, he wouldn't be sitting here. And I turned around and said, he'd be at that bar right there. And I said, I know that would really affect a lot of people. I said, but I can just imagine it. I'm a very um, imaginative person. I daydream a lot. I can just imagine him sitting down and the bartender saying, what can I get you, sir? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want anything. I don't want anything on that side. I came for the people that's on this side. See these people? I want to get to know them. I want to talk to them. I don't want any of your drinks. I want them. I want to sit here. I want to talk to them. I want to love on them. I want to know that who they are, and I want them to know who I am. Many times I feel like if Jesus was here now, we would be so surprised by what he was doing and where he was going and the people we were he was hanging out with. We sometimes forget that Jesus was a rebel. He was a radical. He did crazy things for people that you would never talk to, women with five husbands and all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, they weren't even husbands, but all this crazy stuff, and Jesus did that all because of love. That's the answer right there. I read a blog the other day from a young man who had struggled for years with lots of sin. I'm not even going to go into him because it's very Reddit R. Lots and lots of sin. He was raised in a Christian home, but just horrible sin. And it took him years and people mentoring him and pouring into him before he finally broke the chains. Oh, but When I was reading this, a few things he said stuck out, and I copied them because I wanted to share them. It really convicted me. One of them said... Loving people wasn't always the main objective of the Christians I saw. It seemed almost everyone was longing for his gifts, ministry, and anointing. But but when it boiled down to to really loving people, I didn't see that much. Ooh, that hurts so bad because I've been there. God, I want to be used by you. God, I want to feel your calling in my life. But then when it comes to loving those unlovables, and if I told you his life, you'd probably be like, I wouldn't speak to him because he did some really, really, really bad things. And he did a lot of his life was rough. And that that convicted me so hard because I said, Lord, is that me? And then I was like, yes, that's been me. Where I wanted to do awesome things in this state and for the children's ministry. And I want to do awesome things over there with kids. But am I loving people as much as I can? Am I really pouring the love of Jesus out? And then we go into 2 Corinthians. Um, the second chapter, Paul mentions uh, or encourages the members to forgive and accept way- the wayward person mentioned in 1 Corinthians 5, 3-5. He describes the distress and anguish of the heart and God's merciful, merciful intervention. The same blog I was reading, a few other things he said, um, he said... As the body of Christ, we have got to put down the stones and show more mercy and compassion to all people. Sometimes, this means investing time in people because we know that we aren't perfect all of a sudden after we surrender to Jesus Christ. It is a transformation that happens daily. When we become new creations in Jesus Christ, we are spiritual infants who begin to grow and mature. Please don't think I'm saying that Jesus does not instantly transform. Because I have seen him break addictions and deliver people. That's crazy awesome. Like It's like, yay, Jesus. That's so cool. But there's also times where it's a transformation. And we have to come alongside those brothers and those sisters and say, I'm going to walk this path with you. Because you have fallen and stumbled so many times. We all know those Christians. Those Christians that have struggled with something for years. And you see them come to the altar and pour their heart out, pour their life out, cry. And they get up and stare struggle. Are we getting up with them and saying, you know what, this time we're supporting you. This time we're walking you through this struggle. This time we're getting you through this. We're not staying in it. We're getting all the way through it. Are we holding their hands and encouraging them? Um, chapter 4, Paul explains how um, Satan has blinded the minds of many unbelievers. He referred to his sufferings and how times he faced, the, uh, faced death. But then he also um, received encouragement because he's not doing things because because of the because, for here. He says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. His fir- focus was firmly fixed on the things which were not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. The things that are not seen are eternal. Sometimes we need to remind, or be reminded to focus on, not focus things on the world, but focus on eternity. It is a struggle ministering and pouring into people's lives and loving people, but we need to remember we're doing this for eternity because I'm getting to heaven and I'm taking as many people with me as I can and I will fight for you and I will struggle with you and I will love you through it because I want to go and I want to go with you. I don't want to see anyone perish. I don't want to see anyone left. I want you to be there with me. Um, Paul then talks about how Christians are brought into harmony with Christ or reconciled with Christ. And he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You need to remember you were once saved too, and you were a new creation. And those people are too. We need to be reminded to love. We need to be reminded it's a process. And we need to pour into the people's hearts, but also... Allow God to pour into your heart. Say, God, remind me that I am daily changing for you, daily growing in you, and I can't wait to spend eternity with you. Um, I'm going to read these one more time, and I want you to think of them differently this time. Dear church, do good. Pray. Calling all Christians, I know you don't hear this every day, but we need to step up. Come out of your hole and let people know you are a Christian. Dear church, I love your cross. Oh, how the cross has blessed so many of us. Dear Christians, let's give broken people our stuff. I like the church. That came from a five-year-old. Five. Five years old. Let's give broken people our stuff. Dear church, we should come together as one and stop fighting and just love everyone. Just love everyone. Dear people, well, Christians, <laughs> teach non-Christians to be Christians. So go out in the world and tell people. Out in the world. She didn't say stay in the church. She said go out in the world. Dear Christians, everyone in the, wor- everyone in the world needs your help to become a child of God. Everyone needs your help to become a child of God. I want to show a short video. This is a little... um. Modern, a little teenagery. so bear with me. because someone hit a few of the lights for me?
1: Dear church, we are not a religion or a gathering place. We are the hands and feet sent to bring heaven to this place. Why are we so unforgiving? Are we not serving a God who's still living? Why do we only live on Sunday, scream out the name of Jesus, but go mute on Monday? We're supposed to be Christ-like and live like Christ, but we'd rather be comfortable than share Christ's light. When people are trying to turn their life around, let's overlook their past and get them off the ground. Because if Jesus was here today, he'd probably be with all those people that we've pushed away. Why have we let church become our religion, riding our high horses like we forgot we're forgiven, so wrapped up with distractions? fractions, Jesus captions, that we forgot that our faith requires action, fake smile interaction, like our love is rationed, hands up chain reaction, Jesus gives us traction. Why are we so unforgiving? Because we differ in the ways that we're sinning? We'd rather argue with a brother over interpretation of truth than talk to someone who's hurting and has never heard the good news. We need to pick up our nets and become disciples, but instead we fill our heads with excuses as tall as the Eiffel Tower. The Spirit gives us power and not timidity, but we act as if our minutes on Earth go on for infinity. We're losing chances every day, trying to ease our conscience and saying at least we prayed, like, God bless the family facing foreclosure, but don't make me help them with their needs. God bless the homeless girl clothe but please don't make me walk across the street. Please feed the hungry, If I wasn't so busy, I'd bring him something to eat. Please make sure the church has money, I'd tithe, but my pockets aren't that deep. Why are we so unforgiving? Why don't we celebrate second chances and rejoice with thanksgiving? Let's take the costumes off for one second. Nobody can grow if we all fake perfection. Just going through the motions, singing the oceans, crying to be led, same ritualistic tradition, just wanting to be fed, and growth is what we need. Gardens don't grow if you neglect the seed. What's the bare ground to a weed? Confused. Because weed probably isn't the one that's ultimately being deceived. Jesus is coming back soon. And if you walked into Sunday service, would he recognize anyone in the room?
0: Shunning those people that Jesus would hang out? Dear church, are we loving? Dear church, are we giving? Dear church, are we going? Dear church, are you being fake? Dear Christian, are you walking like a Christian on Sundays? But on Monday through Friday or Saturday, who knows what you are? What does what would a letter to our church look like? What would a letter to Christians look like? What would a letter to you look like? Um, during altar call, I don't really know how to do altar call, except I'm going to open the altars, and I want you to answer, ask that question yourself. Dear church, dear Christians, or dear Ashley, what would it say? Dear Danny, Allison, Kayla, whoever, Alicia, dear... What would it say? The altar is open. George is going to play some music. Pray from where you are if you want to. It's pretty much just open prayer time. Jesus will meet you wherever you're at. It does not matter. He's right beside you. He loves you.